Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, football fans, welcome back to the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is Joe Serpico, and we are here with episode 23 of the pod. We've got a lot to talk about, including a huge, huge win for Memphis. But first, before we dive into that, let me bring on my good friend Joey Brovac. Say what's up, my man. Yes, sir. We're back, and uh, one of us is a little injured, but you know we're gonna we're grinding through it. It's like I told you beforehand, man. It's just a finger. I'll survive. <laughs> it's just the pinky one too. I'm just gonna milk it out at work for a little bit. But they don't listen to this podcast. I hope at least not this week. They don't decide they're gonna start to. But let's dive into what everybody really cares about, and that is I brought it up just a second ago. Memphis, huge, huge win. I guess we'll just say we're going to do this show as we always have done it with number one on our power rankings, and we got a new number one. It is those Tigers coming off that win over UCLA. Uh, I know we both watched it. There was a hell of a game to watch. If you're a fan of college football, that was a game you really, really wanted to tune into just because it featured what you want from really on both sides. You got a UCLA team that has one of the top prospects at quarterback. And then you got the guy, Riley Ferguson from Memphis, who everybody's now knows the story about being out of the game not too long ago, and now he just beat the number 25 team in the country. Yeah, and there's, is, there, is there more that you wanted out of this game? Uh, I mean, we have been talking about it for a while. I've been predicting that this is going to be a game that you want to watch, and I predicted that Memphis was – going to win. I fully believe that they had the team to do it, especially against UCLA. Now, the first few games of the Bruins kind of got me a little worried, but I didn't see anything from their defense that was really making me rethink my pick. Uh, you saw Ferguson got a big spotlight on him with his performance on Saturday through six touchdowns and 398 yards and pretty much competed with Rosen the whole game. Rosen threw two picks, and Ferguson only threw one, which is which is good that he showed that he can compete with you know the best prospects as you mentioned in the nation. And the one player that I really was impressed with was Anthony Miller, 185 yards and two touchdowns was a phenomenal performance and. He made UCLA's defense look really bad. Yeah, some of the catches he made were absolutely absurd. I mean, he was just carving through that defense all game long. Um, But on the other note, I mean, 
Daryl Henderson had a hell of a game on the ground as well. And I think what's more impressive is the fact that they were down 17-7 kind of early and didn't really let them phase them. You know, they just kind of came back with it and just punched UCLA right in the mouth. I think the key play in the game was the uh, the 60-yard uh, interception return. I think that really, like, turned the corner for, for the Tigers there. But, again, Ferguson, the six touchdown passes, that was an incredible performance by him. And what I don't understand is, I understand that UCLA was the team right on the bubble there at number 25, but I think we both can agree that the Tigers should probably be in that top 25. Yeah, and that has to do with, like, hype, and UCLA was getting plenty of hype going into this year. Everybody expected them to be better because they have Josh Rosen, and you just don't expect a program like UCLA to be down for that many years. Now, it's just kind of the same thing with Texas at the beginning of the year. You know, there's really nothing that justifies them being in the top 25, but hype will do that for a team. And, yeah, like you said, I think the one thing that is keeping Memphis out of the top 25, I guess, is that they've only played two games. Granted, this is a big win, but the first game was against UL Monroe. So I think if you give it time and give them a few more wins, they'll certainly be in that top 25. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I think within the next couple of weeks, we'll see them maybe make that jump up. Um, I think what will potentially help them out will be the number two team on our list, and that's the USF. I think if they both kind of stay undefeated until – I can't remember the schedules off the top of my head right now if they meet up later in the year. But if they, they do, it'll be go and figure out who's the better team in the conference. But if they both stay undefeated – that'll be better for Memphis to potentially get into a potential ranking. But let's go to the number two team. They're coming off a win over a P5 school as well, a win over Illinois, who I guess, I mean, that's about as low as it gets for a P5 school, but it was a win anyways, 47 points. But once again, I mean, USF kind of got off to a slow start in, in another game. Yeah, it wasn't as bad this time, but it's still a slow start, and that's going to be a concern going forward. Quinn Flowers had a good ge- a good game, so that was that was a surprise, sort of. I mean, we expected that, but with how they were playing, it was surprising that he finally did put together a solid performance. I think going forward, it's going to be can this team shake off the rust that they have early on in every game and can they just blow a team out right off the bat? And we've yet to see that. And I think going forward against some of these better teams like a UCF or a Houston or a Memphis, that's something that's going to get them into trouble. And I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from it. Yeah, we're going to find out a good bit about that team this week. You know, they play a Temple this coming weekend. Temple's calling card is their defense, so it'll be two teams, you know, they're, they're best going out, the, the the Bulls offense going against the Owls defense there. Um, but before we go through, it was a, you mentioned Flowers. I mean, he just had another ridiculous game, 280 yards passing, four TDs, all the different receivers. Then you add the 106 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And the Bulls actually had 300-yard rushers and – We'll talk later about how that could be a problem for Temple 
when they get into the next game. But let's dive into number three, and that is the Houston Cougars, who they themselves are coming off one-sided win against the Owls over there. Uh, Kyle Allen only threw two incompletions in the game, got two TDs, and then didn't play much in the second half. Um, tell me what you saw about the Cougars this weekend. Honestly, it was just a really dominant performance, and that was kind of expected, to be honest. There wasn't much concern going into this game, but you always have to take every opponent seriously, and Houston did that, and you saw the result. I mean, they gave up three points, but that was against the backups, so it's not really anything to be worried about. Uh, Obviously, it would be easy for them to look past this game into next week with Texas Tech coming to town, but they stayed focused, and I think it helped that it was their first game coming back home after everything that they went through in the first two weeks, and they got to play in front of their home fans, and they took care of business. Yeah, you mentioned that matchup against Texas Tech. We're going to talk about that shortly, obviously, but let's just keep diving through. We, we kept UCF at number four, and we when we talked about this off the air, we both agreed. I mean, I kind of feel bad knocking them down, but they also haven't played, so it's like one of those situations where the other guys are in action. We've seen what they can do on the field. We have The only action we've seen from UCF is them just blowing out an FIU team, which, let's be honest, is not on the same level as Central Florida. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And like you said, they only play one game. It's not initially a knock on their team, but – it's just they've only played one game, and obviously the circumstances surrounding that are way more important than any football game. But they'll they'll move up eventually, and if if they can keep winning, and you know teams are eventually going to lose that are above them. Um, but there's there's no reason why they can't move up as as soon as they start playing more games. Yeah, win this week would be a good start. They're going against a P5 school as as well. They're taking on Maryland. But like we'll talk about that in a little bit. This number five team is still the same team we had at number five last week, and that's SMU. But I will admit, I I was trying to figure a way how they, yeah, they lost, but they held their own against TCU for the most part until things really got out of hand in the second half where the defense just really fell apart. But that first half, they held their own for much of the game, and Chad Morris has a hell of a thing going on down there. Yeah, and I think the you could really tell there was a point in the game where the defense kind of just wore themselves out, or I guess TCU wore them out, and you could tell the holes were getting bigger, the safeties were making more tackles, and that was becoming a bigger issue. Uh, like you said, they competed for a while, and I think that's something that they can really be excited about going forward. The one thing that was amazing to me was their stud, Corton Sutton, only had one catch, and that was for zero yards, and they are still in this game. If you would have told me before this game that Sutton would have zero yards, I would have said they might have scored 10 points max, and they would have gotten killed. But, I mean, they lost by 20, so obviously the game wasn't close, but the fact that he was bottled up and they still competed was a good sign for the future. Yeah, and you mentioned Sutton, and he was coming off a game where he just scored four touchdowns too, so that's really shocking that they held him, like you said, the numbers. One reception, zero yards. 
Uh, Trey Quinn happened to be the beneficiary of that with seven catches and 116 yards. And Ben Hicks, he had a pretty solid game, but there was a one pick six that really, I think, kind of changed the game. And then uh, TCU's Darius Anderson, the two touchdowns in the second half, you kind of just brought it up. I think that really is, you know, was the icing on the cake for the Mustangs. But they traded scores with them for the early part of it. And I think what's most impressive is, is yeah, they lost by 20, but we brought up the fact that they traded scores back and forth. And last year, they got killed at home. So I think this is a much uh, better performance out of them. And I think this is something that, you know, we've talked about Chad Morris as being a, a name that could be on the move. I think this is a game that really solidified his you know, coaching future. Yeah, and if he can figure out how to get his defense to lock things down at the beginning of the game, I, I think what gets them in trouble, at least in this game, was you get going back and forth, and that's great and all, but you get kind of caught up in just, okay, well, our offense is going to score, and that mindset kind of lets your, or I guess makes your defensive players ease up a little bit, and they just kind of get caught up in, oh, well, we're just going back and forth, and it's a battle, and then eventually your offense can't keep up, and then that puts more pressure on a defense that's kind of settling for a shootout. And if Morris can get them to play well early on and not have to rely on the offense to win all these barn burner games, then, yeah, I, I completely agree that his name will be on every every major college's uh, watch list for new coaching positions. Yeah, that will be depressing. We, obviously, we want to see a lot of these AAC coaches stay home, but if he does head up elsewhere, it will be well-deserved. Um, let's dive into number six now, though, and that is the Navy midshipmen who were actually off this week. You brought it up on our power rankings. They're actually getting ready for their second conference game already this week when they take on Cincinnati, and that'll be an interesting matchup just because I think we've kind of underestimated Cincinnati. I think we mentioned this a little bit last week, but I think we really did. But before we jump into them, there's a team sandwiched in between those two teams. That's Tulsa at number seven. They can score, but they can't play any defense. I mean, that's just being as blunt as I can be about it. Uh, it's you know They had a pretty sizable lead. I honestly was a little bit shocked because I mentioned on the last one that I kind of am a fan of Toledo, so I was really shocked that they were down so big early. But Logan Woodside turned things around, got them in the, into the game. Tulsa's going to have to do something about this defense, otherwise this is going to be a long season, especially now that they're getting into conference play. Yeah, when you have a 28-7 lead against an offense like that, like Toledo's, it's usually a good sign of things to come. And Tulsa picked off Woodside for a pick six, which was a huge momentum shift for them. But give credit to Toledo; they didn't they didn't quit. They buckled down and they came back and pulled out the win in the end. And you mentioned Tulsa's offense. I think they the amazing thing is they they scored six touchdowns on the ground with out really much of a passing threat and that's a little bit of a concern for me going forward. Chad President obviously can run the ball but he only threw for 125 yards and not that he was the biggest issue because we'll get into that in just a sec but 
they're going to have to be more than one-dimensional going forward. If they, I mean, they put up 51 points by running the ball primarily, so imagine what they can do if they could pass. And then the defense has just been atrocious so far. It gave up over 600 yards again and actually increased their average for total yards, which is not a good sign going into the fourth game of the season. They just can't seem to stop anybody, and I'm honestly really surprised how poor they've been playing. You and I have been talking about how the defense was going to be the X factor for them, and we didn't think it was going to be that bad, but it's been really bad so far. I don't know what's the official stat, but I would imagine that they've got to be in the bottom 10 in the entire country when it comes to yards allowed, just because it seems like almost every game they're giving up at least 600 yards. You mentioned the comeback for Toledo. That was their third largest comeback in school history. Tulsa does have, you mentioned that, ground game, which is phenomenal for them, which, you know, I mean, we kind of expected because we did build up their offensive line heading in this year and how dominant we thought they could be. And I guess we can argue by those numbers, the 423 yards on the ground, that, yeah, they have been. And Brewer has done everything that we thought he would do behind that line. But you mentioned it. Until that defense makes a couple stops, you know, it's just, I mean, how could you allow 54 points basically almost every week? It's You just got to eventually slow it down because you mentioned it. As long as they can keep pounding the rock the way that they do, they only need Chad President to make a couple passes to win a, a game. Yeah, and, I, and uh, I just looked it up. Tulsa is actually last in the nation in total yards per game. And the American Conference, actually, American Athletic Conference, actually has four of the bottom ten, but that's um, that's not too surprising for two of the teams that are in there. But yeah, Tulsa's got to figure something out quickly. Um, the offense is just fine. I don't think there's really too many concerns besides you know President's performance, but for the most part, they're fine as long as you know the defense can improve even slightly. I feel like that's all we're going to talk about this podcast all year long when it comes to Tulsa. I mean, maybe things will change come the conference play, but from what we've seen, you just mentioned that they are the worst team in the country. That really doesn't shock me based on what we have seen so far this year. Um, but let's keep going into it. We're going to go to number eight. I kind of brought them up a little bit earlier. That was Cincinnati. 12th straight victory bowl win, but they needed 18 points in the fourth quarter to do so. Uh, Miami even had a chance to win the game on the final possession but failed to do so. The The game-changing play was uh, Malik Clements pick six with a minute 42 to go. I mean, we I think we both agree that we thought that Cincinnati, you know, would win this game. But I'll be honest, when I saw that score heading into the fourth, I was really shocked to see that it ended up as a 21-17 to game. Yeah, I kind of tuned it out because I was, I saw that it was 17-3. to And it, it didn't surprise me, the defensive performance. You and I have both been in agreement that the defense is going to be a big reason why they're in games. And we saw that even against Michigan, that the defense can play well enough to keep the team in the game. It's just a matter of the offense can wake up and actually do something. And, yeah, when it was 14-3 to going into the fourth quarter, I honestly kind of tuned out a little bit and thought, oh, I'll just check the final score. And when I did check the final score, I almost had to recheck it because I didn't believe that 
Cincinnati pulled it out. Uh, I mean, it's like you said, the defense had to score for it to happen, but they, they found a way, and the offense is obviously going to be a question mark for most of the season, but as they've shown, their defense can play with almost anybody. Yeah, I think that's been the most impressive part about Luke Fickle's bunch is, has been the defense. They've done well better than we thought they would heading into this year. Well, let's keep going into number nine, and that is the Temple Owls. Um, yeah, they got another win against the UMass team. Um, they are just offensively, they're kind of hard to watch. I understand people who may check the line. You'll see the Logan Marchie, the 248 and three TDs, and it was the best game that the Owls have played so far. But this is a UMass team that's now 0-4. They're not the greatest team offensively. I mean, they've held their own against some of these teams, but I, I would argue that Temple's probably one of the better teams they've played so far. And if you're Temple, I mean, heading into this upcoming week, you got USF next, who you know is going to score a lot of points. So I don't know what to expect from the Owls moving forward. It's one of those things where really – what can we expect from the offense each week? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the defense as well. I don't think it has the same vibe as defenses in the past. I mean, they're still solid, but I don't think that they have that shutdown ability that teams under Matt Rule had. Uh, you mentioned Marchie. It's, it's actually kind of amazing that he is playing so well for being the newcomer and the offense, I mean, it's, they've looked better than expected, which is good, but for some reason, you know, the, the team overall just looks like they're they're struggling and they're just kind of struggling to stay afloat, I guess you could say. Yeah, what I think was a little bit interesting about that game is, so at one point, Jeff Collins put in uh, Todd Santia, which is a, the freshman, who a lot of people you know, we're arguing has the legs so, you know, they would make maybe a better move, you know, maybe I guess put that comparison to Philip Walker when he was a fruit freshman and took over. He came in, he got 30 yards quickly, it looked like he put a spark, and then Marchie was back in. And that's, it also, it also seemed like that, that like little fire under him as well, because then from that point on, that's when Marchie really, you know, made the offense move much better. So I'm curious to see how that situation goes moving forward. I have to bring up the Isaiah Wright one-handed touchdown grab. I know it made Sports Center top ten. I think it was number three, if I remember right. That was an insane catch by him. But let's keep going on to the Tulane Green Wave. They are coming off, which a loss, well, I guess we kind of expected going against Oklahoma. But again, another team who at one point was leading, which, I mean, when I saw that, I was in total shock. But then Baker Mayfield and the boys, they finally turned it on. And, I mean, Green Wave were playing without their usual starter and Jonathan Banks and uh, Jonathan Brantley stepped in. But we expected Oklahoma to wipe them. Yeah, it, it was as expected. You know, I think there wasn't much doubt that Oklahoma would win, but I think we learned a lot from Tulane in the first half, 
they were up 14-7 to against the Sooners, and they were only down 14 going into halftime. And then obviously the second half was a whole different story. But we've seen that they're definitely not the same team as last year. And I think those struggles are behind them. And they have a chance to move up in the conference. And we, we already saw what they did against against Navy and made it a competitive game. So I think in they're doing it with their backup quarterback, which is it's comforting knowing that they're, even though they don't have their starter in, it looks like a better team going forward. So I think even though they got blown out in the end, that we still have a lot to look forward to with this team. Yeah, and they got a good matchup this week. They're taking on a triple option team, another triple option team, much like themselves. But before we get into that, we got to talk about the last two teams who they're going to stay at 11 and 12 for the rest of the year, probably. And that is, we'll start with number 11. That is UConn. They're coming off an 18 to 38 loss to Virginia, which I didn't even know the Cavaliers were capable of scoring 38 points just with how dreadful their offense has been this year. Um, some will say that the Huskies showed some life on offense, but the defense, which we've talked about all season long, we thought would be the strength of for them, gave up 626 yards, which is pretty bad from a team that we expected to be at least decent on that side of the ball. Yeah, I will say that, that we were talking about the offense needs to get going, and even though they lost by 20, the offense did actually show some signs of life, which was good. It's just unfortunate that the defense decided to have their worst performance of the year, and you could probably bring that back even to last year as well. Uh, but at least the offense showed that they are capable of making some explosive plays. Um, I saw that Virginia linebacker Micah Kaiser had 15 tackles and two sacks and two tackles for loss, which was just insane. So he was all over the place, causing causing havoc. But UConn was actually able to show a little bit of a spark. It's just that their defense really struggled. And I think if they can't be consistent on either side of the ball, it's going to be a long year. Now they have a chance to get a win this week, and we'll talk about that later. But I think the inconsistencies on both sides of the ball is what's really going to hurt them. What's ahead for UConn this week is the AAC Toilet Bowl matchup, and that's against our number 12 team, and that's the East Carolina Pirates. And I'm going to be honest, I had to do a triple take, I think, when I saw that they were ahead of Virginia Tech 17-7 at the end of the first. I was like, who is this Pirates team? They're really going to make me eat crow for calling them out every one of these weeks. Then they allowed 57 unanswered. And I was like, oh, that's the ECU team that I'm used to. Yeah, you almost owed them an apology for, for, for at least a half. Uh, I was 17-7, to 7 and I said, of course, we rip on them for however long on the last podcast, and they come out. And, you know, maybe, maybe we should take credit. Maybe we inspired them for at least one quarter to come out and play. But then, as you see, if you look at the box score, there's three zeros. 
in the next three quarters, so maybe that there that our pep talk wasn't good enough. So maybe we have to do a lot worse this week just to get them to uh, play at least you know three quarters well. Here we can start this way. I'll read off some of these absolutely god awful numbers here. They gave up 34 points in the third quarter, including Josh Jackson had four touchdowns in that quarter, and three of them were to Cam Phillips. Uh, let's see. This is the eighth loss by at least 20 points in the 15 games under Scotty Montgomery. And this comes off after they fired their defensive coordinator, and guess what? They gave up more yardage and more points than they have in any game this year. So, yeah, I guess that 17-7 uh, start was might be the highlight of their year. Yeah, I feel bad. I mean, maybe it's karma coming back to bite them for firing Ruffin McNeil, but I feel I like Scotty Montgomery. It's just his team is not where it needs to be. Yeah, hard to watch. And I mentioned they have a uh, a game this week that's going to be hard to watch, which we will preview in a minute. But we're going to dive into what we feel are much more important games for the AAC. We're going to go through the entire slate. In order, uh, we already mentioned one of the games a little bit earlier. That's the Thursday night game, which can be seen on ESPN at 7.30. And that's Temple on the road at USF. USF is a 20.5-point favorite. It's a battle of the two teams that have been the best in the AAC since the start of the conference. And Temple... Could have maybe some confidence seeing how they come off a win last year, giving UCF only one of their two losses. But this is a completely different Temple team now. We mentioned earlier that USF had 300-yard rushers. Temple already had a game this year against Notre Dame where they allowed three 100-yard rushers. What they really need is, and we keep bringing them up, and it's it's Raquel Armstead to finally get going. He showed some signs of life this past week. Last year he rushed for 210 yards to get Temple to win, and he's going to have to do almost the same if the Owls have any shot at pulling off this upset. Yeah, you have two teams that are kind of opposite, on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have USF, who right now looks like a good team that could be great, but they struggle to take that next step. And then you have Temple, who's kind of struggling, to be honest, and they're kind of a bad break away from falling into that bottom half, or I guess they are towards the bottom right now, but staying there. Um, but obviously anything can happen, and and Temple's still going to be competitive. I don't think we can expect a blowout here. But their biggest concern is Quentin Flowers finally had that good game, and I think he's starting to heat up, which is a big concern if you're the, an, any Owls defender. Uh, USF's defense is looking like they're getting better under Charlie Strong, which is which is not good for Temple's offense, especially if they struggle. Um, you can't get in a shootout with USF, or it's going to be over super early. Can't argue that. What they're really going to need to do, they being the Owls, is they're going to have to limit Flowers to a game similar to they did last year where they held him to 107, 187 yards passing and 90 on the ground. But you mentioned earlier they don't really have the same kind of defense that they had last year that would really shut 
a team like USF out. So it's hard to imagine Temple, I mean, the 21-point spread is probably pretty accurate based on Temple's offensive struggles. Do you agree with me on that, or can you see the Owls kind of keeping it a lot closer than that? Uh, I, I, honestly, I, I don't see it being very close. I want it to be close just because it's hard for me to watch a team that was the winners of the conference go to the bottom of the conference in just one year. Um, but USF's so talented, and Temple has a few things to still figure out, so I don't see how it will be close. As expected, when you're going through a new coaching staff and Temple lost all the pieces that they have, and we've talked about it over and over again. But let's go into the slate on Saturday, and that starts off with Texas Tech at Houston at noon, on, and that game can be seen on ABC. The Cougars are a six-point favorite, which I think is impressive once again that they are a favorite against a P5 team. The Cougs are 18-11-1 all-time in this series. And it's kind of a little bit of a return for Cliff Kingsbury because his first real coaching gig, and actually a lot of his coaching staff too, uh, have done a lot of time at Houston. Yeah, that was an interesting thing to watch, and he seemed nothing but gracious to his experience with Houston and that's nice to see it's nice to someone see someone acknowledge their past and how they got their start essentially and that's what Kingsbury did at Houston and it's good to see that he's been successful going forward and now he's head coach at Texas Tech I'm really surprised that Houston's favored by nearly a touchdown I think with the Red Raiders offense being so explosive I it's hard for me to believe that it's going to be so decisive, I guess. Uh, obviously, it's, that's a cool scheme still, but to me, that seems really decisive. The matchup that's really going to determine the game for me is how Houston's defense does against Texas Tech's offense. Houston's good against a run, but Texas Tech doesn't run the ball very much. They're pass-heavy. Obviously, everybody knows that. But Houston's secondary has hasn't been great. They, they definitely haven't been bad, but I think with all the four and five receiver sets that Texas Tech's gonna throw at them, I'm concerned to see if Houston has a nickelback that can step up or if the the cornerbacks will be able to compete with all that talent. I'm not super worried about Khalil Williams or Garrett Davis on the backside, but even Jeremy Winchester, I guess, at corner, but can they keep up with all those four and five receiver sets? I think that's going to be a big determining factor in this game. You mentioned the Red Raiders passing offense, but actually they lead the country in that category and in total offense. And, I mean, you you mentioned that side of the ball, but I'm more curious to see what happens on the other side, more because the Red Raiders' defense is – I mean, do they even have one? They're they're playing the Big 12, which, I mean, just nobody plays defense in that conference whatsoever, and they're perfectly guilty of that too. So I'm more curious to see how Kyle Allen is going against that defense. We I mentioned earlier he's coming off that game where he only had two incompletions. I mean, granted, I understand I was against Rice, and the Red Raiders 
and we'll have a defense that's a little bit better than that. But I think they have a chance to – I don't want to say if it gets in a shootout that they have a chance, but they should be able to put up enough points to, you know, stay in this. If, say, Texas, say Texas Tech gets to 40, I can see Houston putting up, the, you know, the 45. Now, if we're talking Texas Tech in the 50-60 range, then we're going to talk about a loss. Yeah, I think a shootout is definitely what they what Houston wants to avoid. I I personally don't think that this offense is built for a shootout, but then again, Kyle Allen's made me believe that this offense isn't what it was last year, and it, it is, in fact, better than it was last year. You mentioned Texas Tech defense. It doesn't look like they're any better than they were last year, and last year they literally could not stop anybody. Uh, I don't think it's in Houston's best interest to get in a shootout with Texas Tech just because the Red Raiders are more equipped to do that. And I think keeping it, as long as their defense can perform well against that passing attack, then they shouldn't have to worry about getting in a shootout with this team. Yeah, just one more interesting note before we dive forward. Cliff Kingsbury is actually 10-2 and and out of conference games. Uh, that's why, for me, that, that six-point spread for Houston is a little bit funny, just just based on that number there. I feel like Texas, we, you mentioned that that offense is pretty good, so I feel like it'll be definitely a close game regardless. But let's keep moving forward. we got another game at noon, and that we mentioned earlier will be two triple option teams going against each other, and that's Army going against Tulane. That game's at 12 o'clock on CBS Sports. Green Wave are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I think what we need to really see is what's the update on Jonathan Banks because I think we both agree that the offense moves better under him, not that Jonathan Brantley has looked terrible. Obviously, he's looked pretty formidable in the, the time he's had. But, again, these are two teams – don't expect to see the ball in the air a whole lot because you're going to see two teams that like to pound the rock a lot. Yeah, it's just it's it's like that Tulane Navy game. It's just the offenses you don't see as much, and I think you and I are both big fans of that. Uh, it's it's fun to watch a different style of offense, and Army's more of the true triple option. Tulane kind of changes things up by going in shotgun and sometimes goes in the spread as well. Uh, but that's kind of a fun, I guess, uh, switch up on, on the triple option, which is good. Um, Army, to me, has been a little underwhelming so far, but we are early in the season. Um, one thing I noticed which kind of jumped out at me is their quarterback, Ahmad Bradshaw, is just 4 for 17 passing for just 36 yards. I know that they don't throw the ball that much, but that to me seemed to be extremely concerning going forward, especially because they've been down in a few games that maybe passing a little bit more would have helped them out, but it's still Army. I mean, Jeff Munkin's not going to let them fall off face the earth, but this this will be a tough matchup just because Tulane is better than advertised, and I think they're going to find that out this weekend. Yeah, you mentioned the Tulane game against Navy. I think that's actually a little bit of an advantage for them, seeing how they will have already seen one triple option team this year, so they do have some of those mental reps already in in their minds for going against this team here. And you mentioned the Mod Bradshaw. I mean, 
I have the same note down. He's got 36 yards passing on the year. I mean, if if I'm Tulane, I'm stacking the box the entire time. Well, all 11 guys down there and daring that guy to throw. To, you know, they can't complete passes, so I literally would do that the entire time. And then we'll see how, I mean, Dontrell Hillard probably have a solid game on the ground in this one, and then the quarterback situation remains to be seen. Hopefully we get to see Banks back on the field this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think the offense runs better under him, and it's it, it just would be good to see him back on the field after being hurt. Now let's dive into the next game on Saturday, and that is New Mexico traveling to Tulsa. That game's at 1.30 and can be seen on ESPN3. Tulsa is a 12.5-point favorite. I guess, honestly, that number is – you can't argue with that number considering we know that Tulsa is going to score a lot of points. New Mexico is not a team that's really as offensively a juggernaut as the Golden Hurricane. So 12.5 points actually doesn't seem that bad, even though we talked about how bad their defense is. Yeah, I think it's just surprising just because of that fact is that their defense has been so poor in the beginning. Now, granted, it's been more the passing defense that's been a concern, but they're still allowing a ton of yards on the ground as well. And New Mexico was actually first in the nation in rushing last year as a team, so that's something to be aware of. So I guess if you like if you like watching teams run the ball, you can either watch that Tulane game against Army or you can watch this game with New Mexico and Tulsa. Tulsa was ninth uh, in the nation last year, and they're in the, near the top again this year. Um, D'Angelo Brewer is having a great year after that first disappointing and kind of abnormal game against Oklahoma State. Uh, and I think if Tulsa can show that they can stop the rushing attack for New Mexico, then we can be at least a little bit more confident about this team going forward. Yeah, I think this is a nice little matchup for them coming off that loss last week against Toledo. I think this is a game where I don't want to say where they will overwhelm New Mexico, but it's a game where they they should win. You mentioned both teams will be good on the ground, so you're going to see two solid teams on the ground. You're not going to see much in quarterback play from either one of these teams. But let's keep going forward. There's another solid, which I would consider to be a solid game this weekend, and that is the UCF Knights traveling to College Park to take on the Maryland Terps. I've kind of brought it up that I will be there. I'm actually really, this is my first experience in the press box at Maryland, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. That game's at 3 p.m. and can be seen on FS1. And the Terps are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And I guess that's kind of fair, considering we haven't seen UCF play since the FIU game, which we talked about earlier. And Maryland is off to a 2-0 start. And one of those wins is an impressive win on the road at Texas. Yeah, that first game really surprised, I think, a lot of people. I didn't expect Maryland to be even in the game, and it was really Texas that wasn't in the game, which was extremely surprising and probably plays into the what we talked about earlier with hype kind of 
helping certain teams get into the top 25, even though they don't belong. So we found that out really quickly about Texas. My question for UCF is, is there any rust still remaining? Because this is only their second game, and we're going to be a month into the season. So are they going to come out with the fire that they had against FIU? I would assume that it's going to be a little bit different because Maryland's a completely different team than the Panthers, but can UCF still look explosive on offense? They've had time now to heal any nagging injuries that they had from the first game, and they've had plenty of time to prepare and get reps for their players, so can the offense be as explosive? And the bigger question is, can their defense stop a Maryland offense that's pretty good? Yeah, that's what I was going to make the argument about there is it's been so much time off on the defensive side, and Maryland's got some players on offense, which honestly, even for me, is kind of surprising how well they've been racking it up, especially on the ground. Um, They've got a true freshman at quarterback, which I don't think they really wanted to go into with the season. He was definitely their future, but injury kind of forced their hand to put him in there but he's done phenomenal in the two games that he's played so far. Then they also have a nice dual-headed running threat in Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison. D.J. Moore is a pain to cover on the outside. So this is a game for UCF where Mackenzie Milton is going to have to score a ton of points, and then the defense is going to have to do their best to stop Maryland on the ground. Now next on the slate is, we kind of already mentioned this game too, it's Another AAC conference game, and that is Cincinnati on the road taking on Navy. That game's at 3.30. It can be seen on the CBS Sports Network. Navy is an 11-point favorite. A little bit shocking to me, considering how well we have seen the Bearcats play on defense. I mean, I don't think they lost to Michigan by that much. I can't remember the final score of that game, but I felt like it was a respectable game. Yeah, that's the triple option effect, I think, because Cincinnati hasn't seen, I mean, they've played them before, but hasn't seen that type of an offense, and they don't see it that frequently at all. Uh, it was 36-14 to 14 was the Michigan score, so that was it was closer than the score indicates, but I think the concern is Cincinnati's offense, especially against the Navy defense. That's one of the better defenses in the conference. Hayden Moore hasn't looked like anything special, uh, and the offense in general hasn't looked like they're a huge threat to keep a game close. And I mean, we saw that last week against, against Miami. They only put up three points to three quarters, and then they had to score 18 in the final quarter to, to win the game. And that's probably where the 11 points comes in. And I think the defense is going to be just fine. They have plenty of studs on their team that have already proven they can beat anybody, and that includes Michigan. But it's going to come down to can the offense do enough to keep their team in the game and win, actually win the game. Yeah, Hayden Moore has been a rather disappointment for them. And last week they were actually without Mike Boone, who's a guy we've mentioned over and over on this podcast. I'll be curious to see if he comes back this week. Um, I think you're 
dead on when you said that it is part of the triple option effect is the reason why that line is so high. But you said it, that defense should be able to keep this game a lot more respectable than I think that 11-point line indicates. I can totally see. I don't. I won't go as far to say a Cincinnati win in this game, but I do feel like you know they'll be in it in the fourth quarter. Maybe not like they were this past week. They don't need an 18-point fourth quarter, but it's a game that they should keep relatively close. Now the final game of that Saturday. Oh, excuse me. There's two games. Two more games on Saturday. Excuse me. The one first one is Arkansas State on the road at SMU. That game's at 7 p.m., and it can be seen on ESPN3. I was kind of hoping, to be honest, when I saw this game on there, I was hoping it wasn't an ESPN3. I was hoping I could find a catch it on TV somewhere. But the Mustangs are a five-point favorite. Uh, tell me what you think about that game as we get, head into that one. I think SMU needs to move on from the TCU game. I think they might still be disappointed that they let one get away. And they might be hanging their heads over that but they had their chance and they couldn't quite compete in the end so it's just time time to move on because this Arkansas State team can can surprise them and they, they'll be able to compete uh, at least offensively for sure um, SMU's offense is going to be one of the best in the conference we saw that and they did it against TCU who appears to be playing better defense than they have in recent years at least um, and the nice thing was we saw other weapons besides Cortland Sutton emerge like you mentioned earlier so that's that's a good sign going forward uh, the Red Wolves almost pulled off an upset in week one against Nebraska which I was fairly surprised by that and the key is once again it's going to be can SMU's defense get enough stops for the offense to put up points and make the game out of hand right away, but stopping Arkansas State's quarterback, Justice Hansen, is going to be probably the big key for the defense, and if they can force the Red Wolves to run the ball, they'll put themselves in a good situation to win. This game should be an offensive shootout, I would think. You can expect a lot of points with, you know, we talked about the defense for SMU, that that's going to be the key in this game whether or not they can keep the Red Wolves out of the end zone just enough times. If I was betting on this game, I would stay away from that five-point line, but this is a game where the over looks to be a pretty good bet. I would definitely look into that. Um, side note, SMU is 4-0 on their last on the over the last four games, so if you want to take that bet, that would be a smart bet. I would, wouldn't argue that. Then the last game of that Saturday, which is the one I was looking at earlier, and we brought up Memphis. They are the number one team in our power rankings. But this week should be a pretty easy game for them. They will be welcoming Southern Illinois Salukis. Um, the Salukis are coming off a win, which, finally, which snapped a 12-game road losing streak. And then this is a Memphis team who's just coming off their Big win over UCLA. This is a game where they should roll right over to Salukis. Yeah, I think the key is they need to start fast and don't let the hangover of beating UCLA get to them and keep this game close. If you listen to Coach, Coach Mike Norvell after the game against the Bruins, he mentioned that 
it's a great win for the program, and people saw what Memphis football is all about, but he's reminded them that one game doesn't define a season, and it's it's all great and everything that you beat a ranked team, but that doesn't define your season, and there's still plenty of season remaining. So if I don't think this game should be close at all, but I also think that they still need to take this game seriously, especially with a big matchup next week against UCF. Uh, I think if they can keep that out of their minds and just focus on Southern Illinois, this game should be out of hand fairly quickly. Definitely can't argue that. This is a game where hopefully Riley Ferguson gets his four or five touchdowns in the second quarter, doesn't need to see much time in the in the remainder of the game, and then you know they can move on, to, like you said, to the game that's ahead for them next week, which they'll head back into conference play. And then there is, I mentioned earlier, there is a game on Sunday. And it's, why is it on Sunday? There's already NFL football, and it's two of the worst teams, not just in the AAC, but in all of college football. And that is ECU will travel to UConn for a noon kickoff. The game's on ESPNU. We were saying this before we started. Why not make this game any other day that it doesn't have to rival any other football game? Let's be, and let's be honest, we also mentioned that even if it, uh, say it was on tonight, tomorrow night, I mean, who cares what night it's on? Like, there's not going to be people watching for the most part. I mean, people are going to choose to watch baseball or anything else besides this game. So it really probably didn't matter what day it was. But, I mean, come on, Sunday? Like, are you really going to try to compete with the NFL? Like, this is the worst matchup you could try to do that with. And, I mean, it'd probably be better off if they honestly just put it on Saturday and let it slide in with all the other matchups going on. Um, I think this actually could be an interesting game. Both teams have struggled for the most part this season. UConn does look like the better team, but it doesn't seem to be by much due to their inconsistencies on both sides of the ball. And at the beginning of the year, I said ECU might be winless until November, and uh, I'm really hoping that still comes true. And so I think I'm going to be cheering for UConn, which not that I want to cheer for anybody in this game, but I'm you know hoping that prediction is coming true and ECU is going to be owing whatever going into November. Well, Vegas backs you. Vegas has the Huskies as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I argued earlier, I said, always take the team that is going against ECU. I would maybe every game but this one. This this might be a game where you just, you said it. Don't even bother to watch it. If it was on the night, I'd probably be watching baseball, like you said, or God knows who knows what else. I mean, I'm usually one of those people that if there's a college football game on, I'm watching it, but I don't know about the, how with how bad these two teams are. I literally probably would only flip it on a couple times just because I would feel like obligated to do so just because we do this podcast. But before we end this show, as we do each week, give me your number. I mean, I guess we do have some conference games, so that kind of skews the numbers a little bit, but how many wins for the AAC this week? Well, can UConn and ECU tie? That would make things a lot easier. 
Well, no, that gives. See, that's the thing. So you guaranteed to get some of these games. You're guaranteed to get at least one. So that makes your decision a little bit easier. <laughs> that's true. Let's see. I have I have seven. And then, because now I know you got the leg up on me in our little bit of competition, because <laughs> I did take UCLA just because. I don't know. I just felt like we needed at some point to change this game up a little bit. Hey, one loss isn't that bad. You shouldn't hang your head too much on that. And this week is, I mean, seven, yeah, sounds like a good number to me. I could see eight. I could see six. Uh, there's, you know, there's quite a few toss-up games. The Temple USF isn't a toss-up, but uh, that one could be closer than I think you and I realize. Texas Tech, Houston, Army Tulane, and UCF Maryland. I think those, we can argue, are the three games where, if anything is going to happen, it's those three. Yeah, that's true. Even like Cincinnati Navy, I think that game could be close too. So there's a lot of tight games this week, so that's, that's good for the excitement level for this conference. Yeah, now we just got to hope that they, they do their part. You know, I mentioned I'm going to be, I'm really. Interesting to see how the Knights look against the, the Terps, and I will be there. So I'm, you know, it's one of those things where I'm really excited to see how they fare in that game. Um, but before we kill this one and say good night to everyone, you got anything else you want to add? No, sir. Everybody watch the toilet bowl on Sunday. Nobody watch NFL. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I think now it just hit me. Actually, what makes this a hundred times worse is there's a London game this week too. So they don't even get that hour by themselves. So that they really could not have planned that game any worse. But I guess we will end this show as we kind of always have, and that's us hating on ECU until they give me good reason not to. We're gonna keep doing it each week, but. Again, thanks for listening in. As always, make sure you're following the two of us on the Twitterverse, Underdog Dynasty on Facebook and Twitter as well. And then until next time, football fans, don't watch the toilet bowl. Man, what a what a shitty way to end our podcast, no pun intended. Terrible game. Mm-hmm.